Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Is How We Do It, a podcast series where we explore tactics for achieving gender equity in medicine, and in particular in cardiology. I am Rebecca Ortega, the Managing Director of Women as One, and today's guest is Eric Radke. Eric is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Worldwide Innovations and Technologies, otherwise known as WIT, and in particular for a product called RadPad. And today we're going to talk to Eric about what we can do as an industry to productively address the fear around radiation exposure, in particular among women. So welcome to the program, Eric. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you, Rebecca. So to begin, I think it would be helpful if you could give an overview of RadPad. What is RadPad? Where does this come from? Tell us about the the product and your company. Thank you. The company is a little over 25 years old. The product RadPad is the brainchild of a neurointerventionist, Dr. William Orison. He came up with the concept, uh, like I said, a little over 25 years ago as a practicing uh, interventional radiologist who had high badge counts. He was faced with the option to take off his badge or take a mandatory vacation to accommodate for the high badge counts at early time in the year. Unable to do either of those, he came up with a solution uh, to shield himself, protect himself from scatter radiation, and worked with WIT, a uh, women-owned business, to develop RADPAD radiation protection products. Excellent. And I love that it's a women-owned business. It's very apropos for, for this podcast. So I think the, the real reason we have you on today is because a number of publications have come out in the last few years, both in the United States and Europe and possibly in other parts of the world as well, that highlight radiation safety as being a top concern for women who are both in the field right now and who are also considering a career in cardiology. And the fact that standards and guidelines are really non-existent in this space is really kind of appalling, frankly, in and of itself, but especially when you know we're trying to encourage more women into the field. Right? So if they are telling us that radiation safety is a concern and we're not doing anything about that <laughs> from a professional standpoint, then you know that's on us. And I think we could do, I think, a better job as a, as a field, as an industry to address this issue. And at the very least, we should be making, I think, a big push in educating practitioners about radiation safety basics so that they can make informed decisions. And Women is One just actually came out with a really comprehensive online educational resource on this topic, hopefully just to encourage some movement on this front. And I would encourage everybody to take a look at that. But but today's conversation is about you and about RadPad. And I want to know what is RadPad doing in the space of education? What are your sort of educational activities right now in trying to, to get to the masses on this topic? That's a great topic. As you know, standards are always slow to come around. Looking at radiation safety, we're probably about the same place we were with smoking in the 1980s. That's kind of where we are with radiation safety now. So anyone who smokes cigarettes, they can do that. They know well what they're getting into and how that will impact them. Radiation is not so clear. As you said, some of the guidelines are a little bit far away from where they need to be, and the information and education is pretty far from where it needs to be. So I often talk to people about it, and I say, yeah, we're kind of like smoking in the 80s. We're telling people they need to be careful of this stuff. They need to be aware. It doesn't mean you need to quit your job or, or set your hair on fire or anything like that, but it's important to know what you're working with, and it's important to know how to protect yourself from it so you can have a long and safe and healthy career. 
we're doing a lot in our business. We're business is founded on radiation safety, uh, radiation safety consulting. The biggest part of our business is education. So we do have products to protect people from uh, scatter radiation, and we promote those hard. We encourage people to use them because they are proven products that have been tested and studied and cited. Uh, I think we have 40 clinical studies and over 600 citations for those studies. So the word is out and the proof is there. What we do is we spend a lot of time talking to teams, uh, physicians, uh, nurses, and techs about where the radiation comes from, where the scatter radiation comes from, what the doses look like, what parts of the procedures are dangerous for them, how they need to protect themselves. So we're big on education. We're always looking for opportunities to work with industry professionals to educate them about radiation safety. And we've even taken it a little bit further with CME credited hours or continuing medical education credit hours on radiation safety. Yeah, that's great. And I have to say, though, you sent me a few of the educational materials I think you guys use as a part of that strategy. And I was looking through them and I was seeing things like brain tumors and cataracts and all these like kind of gruesome, scary (laughs) pictures. And I thought, you know, maybe scare tactics is a necessary sort of part of convincing people sort of similar to what you were just sort of alluding to with the the smoking cessation campaign, sort of really just scaring people into (laughs) doing what is safe and effective in terms of protecting themselves. Is that part of your strategy, sort of like presenting the big scary information to people? Or do you feel like providers at this point understand what the risks are? Well, I don't think scare tactics work with intelligent people in general. So if we're going out there trying to promote safety, I want their attention. I don't want them scared. So we don't really do that. We definitely promote or we definitely communicate that things like brain tumor and cancers, they're a risk. They're out there for sure. There are other things that you could be more concerned about, like cataracts. You're twice as likely to get cataracts or develop cataracts, anxiety, depression, mental health issues. These have higher hazard ratios than cancer, and they're rarely talked about. We're not going around trying to get people scared. We try to educate people and make them aware. They can reduce one risk factor in their life each day. That's a good day. So people are stressed out from their job or from their spouse or their kids. That may be true. That may be fine. But it doesn't need to be from the radiation exposure. So rather than create a big issue about it and get people scared of it, we'll just tell them that, you know, these are the studies that show that radiation can have an impact on mental health. And it's better to reduce that risk by using products like RATPAD that stop that radiation from affecting you. So now, you know, like to scare people, I don't think that goes very far. And <laughs> you don't they might not have dress up in a scary <laughs> outfit and jump out of a closet. <laughs> right. No, I, I think that makes perfect sense. You know, I can't help, though, but wonder for women in particular. So if I'm on the outside looking in, and I'm seeing pictures of cataracts and brain tumors. That's just scary to me in general. And I don't need, you know, sort of a CME program to be nervous about being exposed to radiation. And I think, you know, when you're a woman who is of childbearing age, you know, that becomes an added concern on top of just the exposure in and of itself. So I don't know if you guys have had any sort of internal conversations about sort of the messaging behind how you present this information, but I I can't help but wonder if there should be a difference, and maybe the answer is no, but should there be a difference and does it make sense to sort of differentiate between how you're presenting this information to women and men, given the stated concerns that women have around radiation exposure, especially when they are of childbearing age? Is that something that you guys have talked about or is it just sort of one size fits all in terms of how you approach disseminating this type of information? 
I think it's not a one size fits all. We also try not to put people in two definitive boxes because you try and push that way. And then some people like to know the fact that they like to be presented with information and you you don't need to dress it up to scare them. They can make their own decisions. We try to bring them studies. We try to show them figures so they can see realistically what this means, what their chances are developing it, and give them practical solutions. But we need to do it pretty regularly because we find that the amount of time that interventionists or even uh, nurses and techs get with their radiation safety officers like an hour uh, when they're hired, and that's kind of it. So we're going in and we're training on some of the basics of radiation safety. We're finding the people they didn't necessarily know that if you take a large step back away from the table, the inverse square law tells you you'll drop your dose by 50%. So we try to train people on practical things like this that they might not have gotten at their initiation. We also try to train them what some of the guidelines mean. So for example, in Europe, your allowable dose per year is half of what you're allowed in the U.S. I don't know why. That's just the way it is. But we have to go around and train people and tell people that you know, there is a reason and it is moving in a certain direction to lower your dose to make sure that the allowable doses you get is reduced. So we try to push in the field and educate people, safety around doses and exposures. And we also try to push on the, we'll say, the other side and, and get doses dropped or get protective gear accepted as the law, like a lead apron, because we want people to be protected and have healthy and long careers. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up, you know, sort of the policies in Europe versus the United States. I learned recently that in Italy, for example, women aren't allowed to perform procedures in the lab when they're pregnant, whereas in the United States they are. And I think some of that is cultural, potentially. A lot of it is sort of based on the the data, but some of it might be cultural. And I'm wondering if you experience that when you, you know, go to different parts of the world, are there cultural differences in terms of the I guess, acceptance of this information, of sort of resistance to some of this information, how easily do people change, if you will? And is there a difference in the different regions of the world as far as your experience goes? That's a good question. Very interesting. I think it's different all over the world. You see women's roles in, in business and are different all over the world. I think in, in Europe and the U.S., they're, they're at the front of it. And there are some countries in Europe where, it's like you mentioned, that uh, women aren't allowed to do procedures if they're pregnant. But you can see differences all over the world. And I think people are slow to change. They're always looking to the government and see what the guidelines allow. And they see the guidelines allow this amount and, and they'll push that limit. I think it's always worth noting the different allowable limits in different countries because it tells you where it's going. And it tells you that if these people are that concerned about it, we should also be that concerned about it. And we actually touch on this in our educational platform that I mentioned. And there is no discernible, I think, difference when it comes to dosing or exposure when you're pregnant. Certainly no fetal harm or injury that we know of at this point. And the data is all really, I think, solid in that that area. And yet these inconsistencies still persist. I think this fear still persists. A concern certainly still persists. So how do we combat that? And I, I think you're right. I think what you were talking about earlier in terms of just the transparency of the information, but then also the time that these institutions are dedicating to education in this space, it shouldn't necessarily be up to the rad pads of the world to educate everyone on this topic. You know, it's, you know, I, I think an important part of safety just all the way around in the profession of cardiology. And I'm hopeful that we can kind of move in a direction where we have more standards and I think more transparent information all over the world. 
So that being said, I guess, what is your focus for this year? We just turned a, a page. We're now in January of 2021. What is the focus of RadPad this year? I know sales and marketing is probably high up on your list, but, but is there a general focus that you have going into this new year? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, of course, we like to promote our products. Our products are proven to protect the users from scatter radiation, radiation exposure, even chronic low dose, which we experience in the lab. It's been linked to immune system aging, vascular system aging. So even if you're talking about fetal doses and the damages to the people in these situations, they haven't really talked about it at a cellular level. Radiation causes oxidative stress, which is basically aging. You cut an apple in half and it starts to turn brown. That's oxidation. This is what's going on in our bodies. The body's age, immune system's age, vascular system's age. It's normal, but radiation is really accelerating this process. So we're trying to partner with hospitals. We're trying to communicate these messages. Again, we don't like to go in there and say, you have a 1.6% chance of getting cancer. That's not really helpful for anybody. It doesn't really tell them where they are on the map and what they need to do next. We try to talk to them about what it's doing to their body. The human body is incredible, as you know. It can recover from just about anything. Radiation is the same. So radiation can cause a double-strand break in DNA, and the body can fix it. And it sounds serious, and it is. It happens all the time. The body can fix it. The problem is when there's not enough rest or not enough protection from that regular exposure, and the body starts to break down. So we're trying to partner with hospitals to educate them in an intelligent way, in a rational way, that this is a an excellent tool, radiation. It should be used. People should not be shying away from the industry because of it. But like every tool, it requires training. It requires upkeep and training. It requires maintenance and that people need to be educated about what are the risks, but more importantly, how to work in that environment, what tools they need to work around it to avoid the risk or reduce the risk, again, and have safe careers like this. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you fighting the good fight. And I think, you know, the more education we can kind of pour into this space, the better off everyone will be. And I hope at least as far as this conversation goes, that we can start to chip away at some of the, you know, misconceptions around radiation exposure, especially for women. So thank you for being on the show today and for taking some time to chat with us. And I appreciate it. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to catch up again soon sometime later this year. Thank you for having me. I'm very flattered. 